Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the commandments of your word. I thank you, Father God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, suffering and shame. And doing this so that we might be set free. That we might be identified as children of God. And that makes all the difference in the world, Lord. All the difference. And we rejoice in our identity as children of God this morning. And Father God, if there's anyone here this morning who is not a child of God, I pray your spirit would move right now. And as we talk about what it is to follow God this morning, I pray, Father, you would be touching their hearts and create an insatiable desire in them this morning that they would say, I want to follow Jesus. And on this Father's Day, they might know what it is to follow the true Father. Forgive us for the complexities we have given your church forgive us for the things that we have worshipped and called it church that your Bible clearly did not give to us may we get back to the essentials in Jesus name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit Amen well last week we <laughs> y'all did awesome I was just, I left out of here. I mean, we had to catch you all off because you would have kept going. We'd have been here a lot longer than we already were last week. Y'all just kept going. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing your homework, for studying the Word of God, for coming up with all these wonderful commands in Scripture. And at the end last week, um, I said, how many of you were over, oh, a little overwhelmed, like looking upon these and going, oh man, we have to like do all this. We have to bail this. And, and almost everybody raised their hand. You're saying, yeah, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed at this point. Well, my, my job and my desire this morning is to take all this and maybe simplify it in such a way that doesn't take away from the commands of God, but puts them together in such a way that we can be obedient to God in a way that it captures all of this. And that, that's going to be a little bit difficult to do. And so thank goodness I didn't do it. Jesus did it for us. And, and the passage that Sarah read this morning, if you don't have it open, I would love for you to open up to Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. Okay, Mark 12, 28 to 31. Uh, Matthew, Mark. Mark is the second gospel of the New Testament so if you get over, open your Bible up, it usually goes to the middle of the Psalms, and you're going to turn, keep going uh, to your right, and keep turning until you hit Matthew, and then you're going to hit Mark, and Mark 12, 28 to 31. The setting of this passage is, this Pharisee, this, this person comes up to him who's this religious leader in, in, in an attempt to either trap him, in an attempt to trip him up, ask, well, well, Jesus, then what is the greatest commandment? What is it, the commandment? And Jesus, you know what? He does what he does so beautifully. The same thing he did with Satan. When Satan tried to, to trap him, to ensnare him, he goes back and he quotes Scripture. He goes back to and quotes what's already been written, and he reaches back to Deuteronomy 
chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If we're going to look at all of these commands, the first thing I would say to you that we want to look at this morning is that in all these commands, we see that there is this element of loving God. My wife really wants this recorded, okay? So it's either I do it, we get it right now, or I come back tomorrow when nobody's here. You ever, you ever preach to an empty room? <laughs> I've done it before. It's not fun. It's not fun. So, um, yeah, try and not to try and not have to repeat that. There we go. I think we're hearing it now. All right. There we go. Okay, so when we talk about loving God, he says with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our might. Now, it's important for you to say, you need to understand that God is the one that gets hold of our hearts before we ever have the opportunity or, or ability to love him. I mean, like I was telling you, scriptures tell us that God has taken us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Apart from God's initial work upon us, we cannot love him. We cannot believe in him. We are born with a heart of sin. We are born with a desire to rebel against God. We are born sinful creatures. And it's one of those hardest statements when I hear people make the comment, well, he's a good person or she's a good person. You know, and I think back to Jesus' words, it says, good, there's only one that's good. Only God is good. The rest of us are born into this world broken sinners without hope. We are unable to love God. Those babies that we hold in our arms are beautiful, cuddly little creatures, but they are born in need of God. It doesn't take long, and I, I joke around about this, but it's the truth. You know, you're watching your little children grow up. No one has to teach your child to take the candy bar from their sister. No, no one has to teach that child to lie to mom and dad. Like, it's just, there's sin. There is a problem of sin and wickedness and evil in our kids, and we see it at a very young and early age. We talk about the terrible twos. Well, what is that? That is sin in full force, rebelling against mom and dad, right? Like, oh my goodness, it didn't take long for that to, to take root and, and be expressed, right? Oh, you learned to speak. What's the first word? No, right? Exactly, see? I think that was yours, Johnny, the way your mom just said that. Right? And so we learn that we, we are in desperate need of God. We cannot love God without God first changing our hearts. Because the only thing our hearts produce apart from God is death, is sin. So I have to start here this morning with the gospel. I have to start in a place where we have to acknowledge that we are sinners in desperate need of our God. That we are 
need Jesus to transform and change our hearts. Because if he does not do that work upon us so that we might believe in him, there's no loving God. And I hear people say it all the time. In America, there's still an element of Christendom. Well, I know God. I believe in God. I love God. But I see oftentimes a person whose heart has not been changed by God. And so I see a person who's trying to do good things or trying to please God without actually knowing him or pursuing him or having their heart changed by him. Last night was one of the most on the night that I, the eve of when I'm going to preach on loving God, God gave me a precious gift. We're sitting around the dinner table, Catherine and Kira and Christy and I, and Christy's got this great book called Sister Freaks. And it's kind of the opposite story to Jesus Freaks. Um, and it's about women who've sacrificed for serving for God. And it's just a beautiful book. And, and, and so it goes through this next story. We read the story. And then it had some questions at the end of this. And one of the questions that was asked, like, what are the whys? What are the whys that we ask God? Like, why, God, did you do this? Why, God, did you do that? And we went around, and all four of us answered the questions. And as I'm hearing my kids and I'm hearing my wife, my tears are just starting to fill my eyes. It was so beautiful like hearing their struggles. And then the next question is, what does it look like to die to that question? And we went around the room, and it became very clear that our heart has to be surrendered to God. We have to be able to say, God, here's my heart. Here's that question I I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I am full of questions. I'm full of struggle of faith at this moment. But I'm going to surrender this question to you because I know what you did for me in changing my heart. You changed my heart so that I don't need to have the answer to that question right now. Because you're God. You're a good God. And you have shown your goodness and your love to me while I was still a sinner in rebellion against you. And to hear my family talk about surrendering their hearts to God, telling me, what is a dad? I couldn't have been given a better Father's Day gift than that. And what a beautiful picture in light of what it looks like for us to love God with all of our hearts. So that's before we can dive in even into this text and talk about what it means to love God with all of our heart, our heart has to first be changed by God. And we should want that and we should desire that. And if you've been resisting that this morning, my prayer for you is that today would be the day that you surrender and say, God, you are the Almighty Father. And I am a broken sinner. And I need you to change my heart. I need you to get a hold of me and that's why I can believe in you and trust in you as my Father and as my Lord, as my King, as the one who wipes away my sin. I'm gonna, there was a statement made in a book that I've been reading that it, I just feel like I need to share with you this morning. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not much. God changes our hearts so much that when we believe in him and we trust in him, his righteousness is then 
imputed to us. This author makes this statement that made me uncomfortable, but I really appreciate him saying, I can never be more pure and righteous than I am right now at this moment. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because I'm pretty sure all of us in this room aren't living the truth of that out perfectly, right? But that's the truth of it. When God changes our heart and our life, we are set free. We become children of God, and we are made righteous, not based upon our work, but based upon the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it brings tears to our eyes because we recognize we don't have to think too far back into our week. Like, I really wasn't leaving that righteousness and purity of heart this, at this moment this week. I thank goodness for the grace of God that it doesn't take a break and Jesus continues to intercede before us. And we continue to grow up into what, we've already, what we already are. Isn't that beautiful? So now, with that in mind and with that upon our heart, let, let's think about loving God with all of our heart. Now, if we look at that heart and with how the, the Hebrews and the Greeks understood heart, you'll gain this understanding that what he's calling us to with our passion, with our emotion, we love God completely. With our passions and our emotions. That's why God can say to us, don't be anxious about anything. He can tell us that because he has gotten a hold of our heart and he's calling us to love us with our heart, our whole heart, that we can trust fully and completely in God with all of our emotions, with our, our feelings from one moment to the next. And, you know, talking with somebody this morning, it had been a hard week. Like they, they had gone a great distance to, to have an appointment and they got to that appointment and boom, it was like the doctor no-showed. And it's like, Ah, right? You know, you're, you're, it's frustrating and it's hard. And the emotions that you feel in that moment is, is something that we can all relate to. But how do we in those moments go, I'm going to love you with my whole heart. That the emotions that I'm going to feel right now, I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to be fearful. For you are God. And I want to give those emotions and those feelings to you. And I want to turn them to praise. We live in a day and age where people are like, emotions control a lot of the people. In fact, they're, they're living their lives based upon the emotion that they feel in the moment. When God is calling us to say, you know what? I want you to love me with your whole heart. I want you to take those emotions that you feel and surrender them to me so that I might give you joy. I might give you peace. I might give you hope that you never thought you could have in the weirdest of circumstances in the hardest of moments. You know, Scott Willman, I believe it's next week he's going into surgery. I've been wrong about the week and I texted him this week. I don't know if you understand what surgery. So Scott has got scoliosis really bad. It's where your spine basically goes like this. Scott's literally suffocating to death. His lungs are being compressed down. His organs have shifted inside of his body because Scott was six foot nine. They're going to literally run spine rods in his low back and upper back and basically jack his spine back up. 
They're telling him that for three months after this surgery, he's going to be in the most excruciating pain that he's ever experienced in his life. But if you were to talk with Scott today, you would hear a man who's filled with hope. A man who's expectant that God's going to do great things. Who's loving God with his emotions. I'm sure there's fear there and his anxiousness there, and he keeps surrendering that to God. That's very practically what it looks like for us. Well, I've got this going to happen. I'm filled with anxiousness and fear. And when somebody comes along and tries to encourage us, we just tell them to shut up. I have every right to feel the way I feel. And God is saying, no, I have delivered your heart. I have delivered your emotions. Let me be Lord of your heart. Love me. And remember, when we talk about this word love, it is this covenantal binding love to God. Not a fleeting thing that's here today, gone tomorrow, but that we want to love God with all that we have. Eleanor Van Eps just walking in here this morning. Eleanor's had falls and has had a lot of medical stuff go on. But if you talk to Eleanor when she's walking in, she's like, how are you doing, Eleanor? I'm doing fantastic. I'm upright, I'm eating, this is a good day, right? And she's just excited to be here, celebrating and praising Jesus. I mean, our emotions should be surrendered unto God so that God can rule and reign in them, so that we can love God with all of our heart. The next thing that we see there in that text is that we're is we're called to love God with all of our soul. The word there, nephesh, is, is a Hebrew word. And if you go back to the origination of that word, you go back to Genesis, when, when God breathed life into Adam and Eve, into Adam, excuse me. And the word there for life is nephesh. And it has this beautiful commentation that our very existence, our very being, is we're to love God with who we are. You know, my, my, my little girl Catherine has quite the challenge with that sometimes. She's got to wear orthotics. She basically doesn't have any feeling from her calves down she caths through her belly button. She has a port button on her side to, to flush her bowels every other day. I mean, it's, her life is complicated. She's been on tons of antibiotics this year because of back infection in her, in her bladder. And when she gets an infection, she can't, she leaks. She's 13 years old. And as I look at my daughter and all that struggling and all that she's struggling with, yeah. So what does it look like for her? She's like, God, I seem to not, like, I got all these things wrong with me. What does it look like to love you with this life that you've given me? And we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to other people and we say, why can't I be more like them? Why can't I have the musical ability? There's, there's a real reason that people have cleared out of the space around me when we're singing because, I, you know, 
You, you just don't, you know, I, I don't have a gifted tone thing in my body, right? It's bad. I can't even clap. Dean was leading clapping this morning, and I found I was even getting off time with Dean this morning. I mean, it's bad. Why can't I have that ability, God? If I had that ability, I could really love you well. I mean, I got pastor friends of mine that can play the guitar and do the whole nine yards. They could lean their own, like, full service all by themselves. I'm really reliant on my music team because... We'd be acapella and it'd be ugly real quick if they didn't have all these wonderful gifted people around me. We can so quickly look to others. Why, do, why can't I have that house? Why can't I have that car? Why, or, or, why can't I have that, that life, those giftings that you have given those people? And God is saying, I want you to love me with your life until your very last breath. Love me with what I've given to you with your life, with your being. He says, love me with your soul, your life. And then he says, love me with all your might. This is a fun journey in an understanding language because if you look in Aramaic, at this word, the Aramaic for this word means wealth. If you look at the Greek word, it means power. Basically, what, what God is getting at here in this point, in this final, is like, okay, you love me with all your heart inside. You love me with all your flesh, your body, your life. And now you love me with all that I have given you, all material and immaterial that I have given to you that surrounds you. I want you to love me with everything that you've got. And I want to remind you for a moment that that love is generated from, begins in Christ changing our hearts. It's not something we create. We can't love God with all of our heart apart from Him. We can't love God with our life apart from Him. We can't love God with all of our might apart from Him. He acts upon us. And when He acts upon us, He changes us. And then we begin to surrender all these things to Him and say, God, I want you to love you with everything that I have. And it's not out of... Again, I want to go back to that place that I said earlier. We can never be more righteous than we are than we are right now. And so we don't do these things to earn good standing with God. Our standing with God, Jesus sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf because of Jesus' placement as the ultimate high priest, which we're going to dive into big time in Hebrews. Because of his role, our status doesn't change. It doesn't. And so we now love God because of what he's done for us out of relationship for what he has accomplished on our behalf. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of shame. It's not out of obligation. It's because he first loved us and we get to love him. And therefore, since we get to love him, we want to love him with everything that we have. That nothing that we have and nothing that we've been given should be an object of worship. Nothing. But all that we have and all that we've been given is an opportunity to use and to glorify God with. The car that you drive, it's not yours. It belongs to God. 
It's an opportunity to love God with your car. Did you know you can love God with your car? And one of the ways we love God with our cars is, is by picking people up, giving them rides, encouraging them, like doing things that are quote-unquote unsafe, which drives me nuts. My wife loves to do those things. But she was taking a girl home up on Butte, and there, it was dark out, and there was this poor guy walking up the road, and Christy's like, Pull it, hey, do you need a ride? And I'm like, how many ways was that wrong, Christy? I mean, we had this long discussion, but it boiled down to, wait a minute, she's not mine, she's God's, the Holy Spirit moves in her and tells her, I want you to love me right now with your car. With your life. Brothers and sisters, God is, is calling us to love him with everything. And not this soft, cushy, feely, emotional love, but a covenantal, binding love. And you know how we can do this? Because Christ died for us. God demonstrated the love through the Savior, his Son, to us first. And so we can love him in return this way. Now as we think back all these commands, as we look back at them, we can start seeing how many of these commands, like yes, you know, love one another. All those one another passages fall up underneath. Guess what? Because God first loved us, we can also then in turn love Him. And with our hearts, with our bodies, with our very lives, and all that we have. It's for God. Our homes. I'm going to make a statement that may offend some of you. It really makes me sad when I hear people will not open up their homes to their neighbors, to their friends, and to other believers. And some of you are like, I don't have the fancy home. I don't have, you know, are you kidding me? You know how many people in this world are sleeping on streets? To open up your home and invite them in for a meal? Be hospitable. God gave us this to, to open up and to share with other people. All that we have we're to love him with. And we do not want to be disobedient to God. We want to be obedient to God in our pursuit of loving him. You know, our essentials used to be good, give, gather, go, grow. And, and, and if I walked up to you guys and asked you what those meant, most of you would probably, I, you know, I don't know. But it, we're changing our essentials. Our website's getting changed. It's going to be love God. And when we talk about loving God, it's with all our heart, with our soul, and with our mind. The second essential, and that's a.k.a. everything, that we have immaterial and immaterial, material and immaterial. So what do you think the second essential is? You guys probably have guessed it by now. Love your neighbor as yourself. Good job, Lois. Love others. Okay, so when we're thinking about loving others, I want to, um, you know, what, the, what was the first, when you think of love your neighbor as yourself, what's one of the first questions that popped into your mind? Who's my neighbor? Oh, man, Sarah. I love you. I didn't, I didn't even set her up. That was awesome. Who's my neighbor, Right? That's how it was legitimately asked in the book of Matthew. And do you remember what, what story follows that, that question? The Good Samaritan. 
which is just a messed up thing that Jesus does. I mean, you think about the Pharisees and Sadducees asking that question, <laughs> and Jesus says, well, the Samaritan here is this, this, this half-breed, this half-Jew, half-Gentile that was completely hated and loathed by the pure Gentile or the pure Jews of that day. And here is this individual who's hurt by the roadside. A band of robbers comes upon this traveler, beats him up with an inch of his life, steals his money. And first, like, the Pharisee walks by. Oh, I'm sorry about his luck. I hope somebody comes along and helps that individual. And, and then the Sadducee comes by, and, and does, the scribe comes by and does the same thing. Like, and this story is so shocking because love God and love others, right? With all that you have, with your heart. So the problem here is they don't have a heart for those people. They loathe those people. Their lives, they're afraid of them. Well, that, that person's going to end up hurting me or injuring me, and so I'll hurt my reputation. With my money, it's going to cost money to help that person out. I'm not just going to be able to drop them off somewhere. It's going to take some money to help get them better. It's going to cost me time. And all of a sudden comes this good-for-nothing Samaritan. Zero spiritual, like, possibility here, right? And what does he do? He is the one that lives out the great commandment. Love God and love others. So who's your neighbor? Just believers. No. Everybody. We're to love others. Jesus said one of those passages, I just wish you wouldn't have said, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to pray for and to, to, to love your friend, but not so much your enemy. Which is the greater thing, to love your enemy. That's how we're supposed to love, and to love them and to care for them and to pray for them. Piper had a really insightful thing that I, I read this week. They kind of put this into perspective of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And what's the condition for this? As yourself. Now this gets muddy, right? Well, I don't like myself, right? I, I don't have this ability. I, my hair color's wrong. I, you know, I'm too fat right now. Like, uh, I really don't love myself. So I guess I don't have to love my neighbor very well. You know, we call that false humility. It's just, no, we really do love ourselves. It's just we're rejecting our God by saying that. He says to, to love yourself means this, which means as long as you long for food when you are hungry, so you long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so you long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. 
As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you work to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. As you would that men would do to you, so do them. In other words, make yourself seeking the measure of your self-giving. As we would desire for ourselves, we desire the same for our neighbor. It changes perspective a little bit, doesn't it? I got to witness that this year with Elijah, and I don't mean to brag on my kids and stuff, but I do want to point to when God's using them for his glory. Elijah is not like super straight A brainiac student. He works hard for his grades and he gets good grades, but I watched my son sacrifice time that he could put in on projects by himself to bring others in and help them. And sometimes that helps receive, sometimes it's rejected. But I watch him desire his friends to make good grades as he makes good grades for himself. And it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him sleep, and he knows it. He's going to be up later than he wants to be. But it, it's because he loves them. I see that in this church body. This church body has, has loved others as themselves, and I'm, I am encouraged by you. I know it's within this body, but the way Reuben was loved by this church body. And it cost a lot of you to love him well. But the harder person for us to love well is the person that won't necessarily respond at all to what we give, to what we do. But God is calling us to love others. And, and, and in that love, the world sees Christ's love. Because I'm telling you once again, you can't love others apart from the love that God has first given you. Because you remember, we were strangers. We were aliens. We were foreigners. We were spiritual idiots. Do you get that song that we sing? Head full of rocks and a heart made of stone. That was us. We brought nothing to the table, absolutely nothing, and God loved us. And God has continued to lavish his love upon us, not so that we can sit there and say, look what I've got, but that so that we can say, look what I can give away. Look what I can do for others now, because I have been given much. I can give much. I can serve much. And I know some of you in here may be saying, but I don't have much. Are you kidding me? If your life has been changed by God, you have everything. You have everything. And God is calling you to give that away over and over and over again. 
love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our essentials, our first two essentials, and I'll let you guess what the third will be next week, but I'm not going to give any hints. Love God and love others. What a way, if we lay our head to, to the pillow at night and say, God, I wonder how I did for you, and asking yourself, did I love you today with my heart? Were my emotions inclined to praise you no matter what situation I faced? Was I willing to lay down my life for you? Was I willing to give you my life and, and, and live it completely and fully for you today? Did I give to you, like, everything that you asked of me, my, you know, my neighbors, did, did I give that away freely or did I expect something in return? Did I truly love my neighbor or did I just pass them by because they were being annoying, a nuisance, I was too busy? It's going to cost you something to live like this. And rightly so. Because remember who we are. If you're a child of God here this morning, you're a Christian. I was reading in the newspaper this week uh, what I would call a cult was labeled as Christian. It drove me nuts this week. But I think one of the reasons that the world's doing that is because Christians haven't been distinct about their Christianness. To be a Christian means that we follow Christ. And Christ held nothing back. He emptied himself, becoming fully God, fully man, choosing not to take up and the mantle of his full Godhead and his, as he existed upon this earth. He walked this earth. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He sacrificed everything for us, including his relationship with the Father. So if we're going to be Christ followers... This is our expectation. It's going to cost us. And, but before we start saying, oh, it's going to cost me. For the joy set before him. May it be said of us, for the joy set before us, we get to love God and we get to love others. Father God, thank you so much for your word. That it's simple and we've made it really complicated. And Father, we, we ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, we, we think of our life as a church body, and we want our lives as a church body to reflect that we love you and we love others. And when the world sees this in us, the world knows that Jesus has come and that the kingdom of God is present within the lives of the believers, within the church, within the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that we get to follow Jesus. May our eyes be opened and our hearts be opened to what you're doing in and around us. That we may be obedient to you. And Lord God, may we know that when we fail in this endeavor, that you stand ready to forgive, to draw us back into relationship with you. 
knowing that we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, at this time, we are going to share some God stories. He just muted me out. We're going to share some God stories this morning. Um, So, who's going to start us off? All right. I met a wonderful person this morning that um, she's been on my heart from a, I can't say, but um, to actually put a face to her name is so wonderful because now I know I have another connection. So, thank you for coming to share with us. As you've all probably noticed, my mom, Tammy, isn't here today. She, I just want to share, we have a brand new addition to our family, and so, yeah, so congratulate my dad if you see him. <laughs> um, it's a really cool story, because um, I forget, I think it was Wednesday, she told me she got the call from my brother-in-law that he was, that my sister went into labor, and she was having a little bit of trouble, but everything came out perfectly. He's healthy. She's doing great. And my poor mom, she started pack. She went home, started packing everything, because he's like, well, come as soon as you can, please. So she, she hurried up. She got her and my daughter got a flight down there, and she literally got there about five minutes after he was born. So it was just... It's a really cool story, and I'm just really happy to have a brand new nephew. Oh, Glenn's got one. All right. I just wanted to um, say that if you, you're, some of you aren't aware, and it's really exciting um, that all the people that have been showing up to help for VBS. Uh, so I just want you to praise God about that. It's really, really cool. Uh, Kelsey and I are watching online. Every time someone signs up, we get an email to say, hooray, you've got another registration. And uh, within the past week, I think God's really done a lot um, to get kids signed up, and we are really hoping to love them well and be partnered with the other churches. It's super, super, super cool. I just want to say that as a praise to God that, that, that that's happening. Uh, so it's really worth being encouraged by. Um, I'll just say this now. So if you gave money, that $20 to sponsor a kid, if you did that and you put your name on that donation, you're about to get an email today with some names of kids that you can be praying for this week. So Monday to Friday, 9 to noon, we'll be with them. If you did not do that, or if you gave money and you didn't give your name, uh, I have cards with other names. And if these cards get taken, then plus the emails Kelsey's sending, every single kid uh, will be being prayed for this week. So join us in that and praise God. I got a cool story. I got a, I had a God, God story this week. It was just amazing. Um, and, and I'm always hesitant to do this because this is to give glory to God, right? Not to give glory to men. Um, but a certain teenage individual in our church body Lizzie Knight shared with me yesterday. She supported five kids for VBS this week. That's $20 a piece, and you can do the math pretty quickly. 
that God moving through it. So don't ever discount our kids and what God's doing in their lives or how much money they have in their piggy banks, okay? <laughs> but Lizzie, thank you. Thank you for encouraging my heart. When you said that yesterday, you just, yeah, thank you. It's really, really cool. Um, we're going to move now into a time of communion.